0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everybody, to another edition of Unity Colorado, a Colorado pol- politics podcast brought to you by Colin Wilhelm for Colorado. I am Colin Wilhelm, and with me, as always, is my wonderful human being, Keely.
1: Good morning. Happy to be here. We have some um, exciting conversation in store today with a guest.
0: Yes. Um,
1: but first, you know, we always like to talk about the weather. Um you know, I live about 45 minutes outside of Glenwood Springs and only got a light dusting of snow, which, as everybody down here has probably picked up, that I don't really like snow. i meant to live on the beach, um, but Colorado is my home and we do need the snow. So as much as I hate seeing it, um, I'm glad it is starting to snow and it really just doesn't feel like Christmas time no. without snow.
0: No, and um, yesterday we in Glenwood Springs, at least by my house, um, only got rain. Um, you could see up on the mountains that there was some snow, but yeah, this is by far, um, early December, December 7th, 8th, the latest of our first snow.
1: Yes. Yeah. We are due for, a you know, dumping. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, um, and if we don't get snow measurable snow throughout, uh, the winter, not only does our economy in the Western slope suck from tourism and, that sort of thing but, but our rivers don't get replenished yeah and, sure. um,
1: which we know leads to our wildfires and everything else so here is me putting out the vibes for the snow
0: yep i think we <laughs> said last week get your car washed so yes some people did so continue to do that
1: <laughs> um so we've got some interesting things going on on the you know world floor if you will today um mm. russia yep invading ukraine well maybe maybe okay
0: maybe So, um, so for those who aren't world geeks like myself, (laughs) um, Russia has amassed over a hundred thousand troops and tanks along the, what I would call the new Ukrainian border with its neighbor, Russia. Um, I say new because in 2015, some will remember, um, that Putin through, um, through uh, some actual military force, but most mostly through militia groups, mm-hmm. invaded uh, Crimea, part of Ukraine, and um, then annexed it and made it part of Russia, at the expense of Ukraine, and um, pissed off a lot of people, including President Obama, and that's and and in the Ukrainian people in Kiev. And um, for some time, suffered some sanctions and seemed to have backed down a little bit. But now he's saber rattling again. And um, when you put 100,000 troops on a, on a contested border, um, you cause some fears throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when one of those countries that's right next to so the Ukraine, for people that don't know, is not a NATO country. But the Western, the countries surrounding it on its Western borders are from Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, um, places like that are NATO countries. And um, we have a duty in NATO to defend our NATO allies. It's part of the second article of NATO. Uh, when one is attacked, all are attacked. And so there's some big issues there. And one of the things that people are thinking is that Putin is trying to prevent the Ukraine from looking West. Hmm. Uh, Vladimir Putin is obviously a dictator. Um, and our last president gave him some very fond memories, I think.
1: Right. Well, now we know that uh, Joe Biden has you know kind of stepped in and um, mm-hmm. had a two hour um, summit with Putin. And hopefully we um, will actually be able to see some, some readouts from that in the near future.
0: Yeah. And hopefully he takes a little bit harder of stance with Putin than, um, the former guy did.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, uh, stay tuned to find out what, what else happens with that. Um, but on that note, I want to mention to go to www.wilhelmforcolorado.com where you can find out more information about Colin, his issues, the issues and his stances on issues, Um, as well as volunteer for the campaign and donate and that's www.wilhelmforcolorado.com
0: you can find this podcast on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts remember to listen subscribe and if you like it leave a five-star review okay well now on to our uh, to our main topic today Keeley um, yes
1: yeah, so today we have Dave Jenkins here with us um, Dave if you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do
2: yes um, well yeah my name's David Jenkins I'm a president of conservatives for responsible stewardship and we're a national organization that does uh, pretty much what the name says <laughs> we're made up of conservatives uh, that care about conservation and stewardship we we um, Currently, have a little over twenty thousand members nationwide, and that includes about three hundred and fifty members
0: in uh, Colorado. Awesome. Um, what's uh, so? What's your guys' definition of conservation and stewardship at your organization? I guess.
2: Well, pretty much the traditional one. I mean,
0: we our
2: conserv our brand of conservatism um, is really rooted in in those principles, um, as you know. word conservation and conservative they they all stem from the same root word (laughs) conserve um but it means taking care of um you know god's creation that's like um um reagan reagan quoted one time when he was dedicating the national geographic headquarters he said um he said um you're worried about what man has done and is doing to this magical planet that god gave us and i share your concern and he went on to say that it's our um, moral responsibility to leave this place uh, either as well as when we found it, or better than we found it for our children and grandchildren, and to us that's the
0: epitome of being conservative. Yep, I um, I, I I actually have always admired that quote and that stance from from Reagan, um, and I think that we in in Western Colorado in particular. We, we owe a great um, benefit in, to oil and gas industry and, and the, the whole fossil fuel industry in, in general with the coal industry involved in that as well. But also there's, there's some market forces that are designating where we go as a country, as a state, as a community. And I think that we need to recognize that. And, and, and what I like about your organization is that um you're very much on that on that front lines of recognizing those market forces and doing doing the good stuff instead of burying your head in the sand but instead of burying our head in the sand, looking forward, right?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the energy market has has changed dramatically. And um, you know, as conservatives, um, we've always said, you know, follow the market, let the market right. lead. And um right now that market is actually favoring um Solar, wind, geothermal, and even even nuclear, uh, in many cases, over uh, oil and gas and coal. Um, and we're seeing we're seeing that in the electric utility market with um, uh, the prices of electricity. Um, I'll give you a quick example of how dramatic it is. Um, and if if you you know if you pay your electric bills and you're a utility customer, uh, you ought to stand up and pay close attention to this. Um, In Arizona, for example, new solar facilities that are going up that have um, battery storage for nighttime generation, um, that that gets around the whole um, intermittent thing. Um, Those new plants are selling electricity for between 15 and $25 a megawatt hour on a 20 year contract. In other words, that price is guaranteed for the next two decades. I like that price. By contrast, there's a coal plant, um, Four Corners, uh, up, up where yep. sort of all that comes together, Colorado, Arizona. Um, the price of electricity from that coal plant right now is selling for close to eighty dollars a megawatt hour. So, wow. on one side you have fifteen to twenty-five for twenty years, and the other side you have eighty dollars. And it's only going to go up and the reason it go it's going to go up is not the price of coal it's the fact that these all these coal plants and gas plants are really really old yeah. most of them were were built well over 20 years ago and their life expectancy is only you know 30 to 40 years usually uh so as they get older it costs more to maintain them and um uh You know, all the different things, the costs that go into the the operation increase and those costs are passed on in the price of electricity that's generated. So if, if, you know, as a utility customer, I would much rather pay, you know, 15 to $25 a megawatt hour and have that guaranteed for the next 20 years than to be paying $80 a megawatt hour now and watch it go up to a hundred in a couple of years. I mean, it's it's pretty much a no brainer, right?
0: Oh, to Um, me, I, I completely agree with you
2: so so as as utilities start shifting to this because the call it's just cost competitive i mean otherwise they risk having stranded assets like if if the coal plants or the gas plants can no longer compete price-wise then they may have to retire them early and if they retire them early they pass that retirement cost on to their customers as well Mm -hmm. um but the same thing is happening in the in the um oil and gas sector from the standpoint of transportation um our um, you know, transportation sector is electrifying at a uh, an amazing clip, and I'm not just you know talking about the folks who own Teslas. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is the semi truck industry. Every single semi truck manufacturer on the planet is rolling out electric semi trucks, and that is they see that as as the future. Uh, you talk to independent. Trucking companies uh, or or independent truckers that own their own rigs, they're ecstatic about electric semis because they'll be they, they see them as cheaper to operate, cheaper to maintain, longer lasting. Um, so those are all rolling out. Uh, FedEx and UPS—they're shifting all their delivery vehicles to electric. Uh, Walmart has um, Walmart and Anheuser Busch have ordered hundreds of these um, electric semis. Um, so Amazon sharing- as well. Yeah, Amazon, and then um, General Motors has said that they're going to be producing all electric vehicles, um, no gas vehicles, um, by
0: twenty
2: thirty five. So in yeah, and,
0: and Europe is um, mandate is, is uh, going that direction even quicker. Uh, they're they're mandating that their transportation sector get to there by um, by twenty thirty, and, and it's really a a, a back end mandate because the transportation sector is just driving that mandate essentially. The the law is kind of catching up with the, with what's happening over there instead of the other way around. Yeah. And
2: so when you see that and you start looking at where the market is for oil and gas, um, uh, you see that market diminishing. Now right now, of course we're in a spike price wise uh, with, with both oil and gas natural gas um, because of supply chain issues related to the pandemic. Um, You know, when, when, during the, the peak of the pandemic, um, well, one of the peaks, <laughs> um, the, um, uh, the price of oil at one point went below zero. And it was so depressed that you know it costs, um, you, you have to make 40, 50, $60 a barrel in order for drilling in a lot of these um, uh, shale oil operations out west for it to even be profitable. Um, so when the price of oil is down well below forty dollars a barrel, it's not economical. So what we saw is a lot of oil service uh, operations uh, go belly up during that period. So then, when when the economy started getting cranked back up uh, and the demand start came back came back, well then you didn't have the supply sitting there ready to fulfill that that demand, and therefore we're seeing sort of an artificial temporary spike in oil and gas prices. Although oil prices are stabilizing and natural gas prices, I think have went back down, um, I think 30, 30, 40% from their peak, um, uh, the recent peak. So, uh, but the overall trend on those prices is going to be downward because the demand is going to be less and there's going to be less demand than the potential supply we have with all the, the oil wells we have, I mean, we have, we have 20 million public land acres leased for oil and gas drilling. We have, you know, 10,000 unused permits and that's not counting, you know, OPEC and, and the rest of the world. Um, so there's plenty of supply to be had. The problem is the demand is going to continue to decline. And if you're a state like Colorado or Wyoming uh, and, and, or Utah and you're heavily dependent on um, those fossil fuel revenues, you really need to make sure you diversify because otherwise you're gonna be stuck with a commodity, relying on a commodity that is um, no longer priced to a point where it can actually be produced in your state.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we know, obviously uh, Colorado gas prices um, average about $3.50 per gallon. And they're about the highest they've been since the fall of 2014. Um, but Colorado is the fifth highest producer out of the 32 states in the U.S. that that produces oil and gas. So the fact that we are paying so much when it's right here in our backyard
0: is interesting. It is interesting. Well, that
2: that's because uh, you know oil is priced on a global market. Right. Um, it's traded. You know, we don't we don't use all the oil we produce here in this country. We ship some, you know, to Asia or, or other countries. Um, So the price is is based on whatever's happening around the globe. Same thing with natural gas. For a while in natural gas, we had really low natural gas prices because we were keeping all of our natural gas here. Now with the liquidified natural gas terminals and, you know, there's a big effort by the oil and gas industry to ship that natural gas uh, to Europe and other places. And as soon as we start doing that, then what we're seeing now is that natural gas prices in the U.S. are now also uh, globally set based on what's happening around the world. Um, so, so that's, that's the way it is. And then the other thing is, is, is if you're, if you're, t- uh, it's an interesting dichotomy. Um, so as consumers, we want lower gas prices, right. Um, to be able to drive places and so forth, uh, for as lo- uh, cheaply as possible. The, um, thing is, is the U S oil and gas industry, those oil and gas companies in Colorado, they want the opposite they need the price of a barrel of oil to be higher so that they have more of a profit margin from that oil produced because it costs a lot to do shale oil drilling. Um, So if we were relying solely on U.S. shale oil for our supply, our gas prices would stay high um, forever, but just because the cost of producing that product is high. Um, But when it's mixed in with um, other oil sources like like from OPEC and stuff where the oil is sh- more shallow or even our Gulf of Mexico oil, uh, uh then, you know, that moderates that price somewhat, but, uh, the, the oil out West is just sort of locked up in a, in a difficult to get to uh, place and it just costs more to, uh, to pull it up. Right.
1: Um, let's talk a little bit, you know, for our listeners that may not know a whole lot about the federal oil and gas leasing system, um, Colin and Dave, if you How's that work? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, it's not working very well, actually. But, um, <laughs> the the um, so with our public lands, uh, the, each state does its own thing too in terms of state lands. But with federal public lands, the you know lands that are managed by the Bureau of Land Management, Forest Service, things like that, um, we make those available for lease by oil and gas drilling companies. Mainly, it's BLM lands. Um, that are the most uh, targeted in that regard. And um, we, um, the whole way this is supposed to work is that um, companies nominate parcels that they're interested in. And then we hold uh, an auction and these companies bid against each other to um, ostensibly for the, the highest price will get the lease. And then taxpayers and the federal treasury makes um, revenue off of that. Well, the way it's worked actually is, is, is quite a bit different in that, yeah, they do have these auctions, but the minimum bid price uh, is $2 an acre. And so what we see companies doing is um, nominating a whole bunch of parcels, uh, securing them for, for low minimum bids so of $2 an acre. And then after all that bidding is done, then um, if um, none of, if some of the acreage doesn't get bid on, it's made available for even lower price of a dollar fifty an acre, um, and one thing it was driving us crazy during the last administration, like like when the um, uh, the price of um, uh, you know with the pandemic and everything, the price of, of oil and gas were, were uh, cratering. Yes, um, they were actually selling, you know, having lease huge lease auctions every single quarter. Um, but, you know, how are you going to get companies to bid up the price of a lease if the price of oil is low? Right. They're going to bid up when the demand's high and the price of oil is high, but uh, you're just really, you know, uh, giving taxpayers a raw deal if you keep uh, leasing uh, irrespective of what the market's doing. Um, yeah, you're you're essentially negotiating against yourself there. Exactly, and so um, so there's that issue with the with the leasing. Um, there's a lot of non-competitive or um, uh, not non-competitive, non non um, uh, low potential lands uh, that are being leased as well, and it's a big, it's kind of a head scratcher. Like in Nevada, for example, you know Nevada is a hard rock state. They don't have oil and gas under there <laughs> to any degree. They have oh. uranium and 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 copper and uh, silver and other things, but they don't have oil and gas yet. Somehow, during the last administration, two million acres of Nevada was leased for oil and gas exploration. All oh. of it, all of it, at uh, two dollars or a buck fifty an acre, and um, you know it. It's a head scratcher as to why these companies want that, uh, because certainly they're not going to produce oil and gas. Um, so, so there's, there's those issues, but then on top of that, there's the whole royalty issue. Once you, once you, um, uh, explore and you find oil and you get a drill, then you get a drilling permit, then we, as taxpayers, since it's, a, it's our property, it's public lands, we're supposed to get a cut of that uh, production. So that's, that's done via royalties. So, right. um, in the Gulf of Mexico, when you're drilling for oil, um, we, um, we get 18 and a half percent royalty uh, back um, on, that, on that oil produced. For some reason, on our federal public lands out west, we only charge 12.5 percent of royalty. Huh. Um, and you can't say that the market couldn't bear anymore because Texas, for example, on its state lands, it charges oil companies 25 percent royalty. And yet there's no decline in the attractiveness of, of those parcels. Um, so we're, we're just, uh, you know, for some reason, we're just sort of giving this stuff away, uh, at taxpayer expense. Hmm. Um, and then the final piece of this puzzle that's, uh, really dysfunctional is, um, something called orphan wells. Um, an orphan well is when an oil and gas company or drilling services company, they, um, they do the, the production and they drill out all, all the oil. And then when that is done, they just leave. And they, like a lot of times they will, that company under that name will go bankrupt. Right. And um, then the same principles will pop up with another company under a different name. And so what that does is it allows them to take all the profit. And leave taxpayers on the hook for the cleanup.
0: That happens um, all across Colorado.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a epidemic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. And the the thing is, is when they sign those leases, that lease contains a promise by the company that they're leasing on the condition that they'll clean up everything, they'll plug the well, they'll clean up everything when they're done. That's a condition of their lease. So they're promising. To do all this stuff, but when when the the profit making is over, they're skipping town, and putting all that burden on taxpayers. Um, in the um, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed recently, uh, there was a bipartisan um, uh, provision in there that uh, committed over uh, four billion dollars for orphan well cleanup. That's taxpayer money, uh, wow. so that's that's four billion dollars worth of um, orphan well cleanup that the companies promised to do, but but we're having to pay for.
0: It. And we and, should be figuring out a way to get that money back from those companies, even well, if they've gone bankrupt. The principals probably still have some funds out there, and other companies, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah, just the but the cost of the of BLM and and folks, um, yep. going after these companies in court and forcing them and all that stuff. It's, 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 it's crazy. So the real answer is that you require adequate bonding to cover all their operations. In other words, for every well they drill, they have to be fully bonded for the amount of the cost of that cleanup. Uh, That way, if they renege on on their promise to clean it up, then taxpayers are made whole. In other words, there's enough money in that, that bond to cover those cleanup costs and we don't have to fork out taxpayer money to do it. Um, And that problem was identified back in the Reagan administration as something that needed reform. And for some reason, and um, you know, it, it I'm sure it has to do a lot with um, oil and gas company lobbying and, and and, uh, those kind of things. Ever since the Reagan administration identified that as a real big problem for taxpayers, nothing has been done not under Republican administration, not under Democrat administration, nobody, nobody has fixed the problem. And in fact, the Biden administration could fix that problem tomorrow by just requiring BLM to do, um, full cost bonding. And in other words, that they, they require a bond that's sufficient to actually cover the cost of them skipping out on those wells.
0: So Dave, let's, um, let's, we'll kind of minorly shift gears here. Um, uh, as you know, I'm I'm a Democrat running for Congress out here, and um, I believe you're you're a Republican, correct? Uh,
2: personally, yes. Our organization uh, is conservative and and nonpartisan per se, because yeah. um, we're under the hundred one c three thing. But me personally, yes, I'm a lifelong Republican.
0: Well, that doesn't mean
2: we can't get along, right? <laughs> well, right. That's the way it used to be. You know, um, when I was I used to work on Capitol Hill,
0: yeah. Uh,
2: and when I worked there, uh, Jesse Helms from North Carolina was, I mean, probably the most conservative person in the Senate. Uh, And Ted Kennedy was there and he was probably the most liberal person in the Senate. And you know what? One of them, for sure. They would would get on the floor and they wouldn't, you know, argue and argue and argue. Then you know what they'd do? They'd go out to dinner together. Yeah. They loved, they were really good friends and loved each other's company and everything was great. I mean, they 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 made their points. They had completely different views on on where things should be. But at the end of the day, they hung it up. They went out for drinks or for food and um, enjoyed each other's company. And like Antonin
0: Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were best friends on the yeah. on the bench.
2: Well, and Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan had a good relationship too. So so yeah, that's the way it should be.
0: And, and that's the way that I want it to be. And I want to make sure that I'm working bipartisan. And one of the reasons that I, I thought it would be great to to talk to you about what. What what we can do in Congress, bipartisan measures that we can do to fix those three issues that you were talking about, where the oil and federal oil and lease uh, system is broken. Um, what 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 can we do? What what concrete plans or semi-concrete plans could could we bring forward now? And what could I bring forward when my office door is open? If I if I get the honor of representing the third congressional district in Colorado.
2: Yeah. Well, currently there's um there's several provisions that have made it into um, what I guess is dubbed the build back better act, the reconciliation bill that's um, yep. was passed by the house and still um, being negotiated in the Senate. Um, while that bill is, um, you know, probably probably comes with a, sort of more of a partisan um, bent because, um, you know, it was mostly crafted by, uh, by the Democrats in the house and, and yep. the Senate. Um, still the, those, those, um, Drilling reform measures that are in there, um, one of them in particular, the royalty reform of raising the royalty rates and also raising the the, the minimum lease amounts, uh, that was a bipartisan uh, bill that got rolled into there. It was uh, sponsored by uh, Chuck Grassley, a uh, Republican from Iowa, and uh, Jackie Rosen, the uh, Democrat from Nevada.
0: and uh, uh, work together yeah
2: exactly so there's a bipartisan measure rolled in there and if if those leasing reforms survive uh the negotiations on this bill and the bill gets passed then finally uh taxpayers will be made whole and we'll we'll actually uh not be on the hook for uh subsidizing the oil and gas industry uh to the degree we we have to this point
0: well that would be a that would be a great addition to get started with and one thing that I would love to work with you on um, in the future, and I know Keeley it, it mentioned this uh, when after when we started before we went live, is that that bond issue of cleaning up those those orphan wells to make sure those companies, either them in particular, either through bond through through appropriate bondage like you talked about, or some other form of of um, control mechanism to prevent companies from either going bankrupt or at least the principals are held liable if the company goes bankrupt, you know, some, some work around at least in some way to clean up those orphan walls.
2: Yeah. The, uh, ideally we shouldn't even need legislation for that because under the, the BLM's authority, they actually have the ability to increase those bonding amounts. Yep. Um, and for some reason BLM never does. Um, but, uh, there is a provision in that build back better act that, uh, calls for full cost bonding, which, um, uh, it's supposed to mean uh, that, you know, that bonding amount is set at the actual cost uh, and it varies from well to well because of how deep the well is and different things. Um, it's supposed to, to require BLM to do that full cost bonding. What I actually favor, our organization actually favors. Yes, that language is great, but we also favor the minimal minimum bonding uh, amounts. In other words, that the bonding amount can't be below a a certain cost per well or a certain cost per, uh, lease. Um, because if you have that floor, then you know that that full cost bonding is, um, you know, is more likely to happen. And then nobody can sort of wiggle between the words and, um, you know, give, give, um, Estimates of what it costs that are actually that actually don't reflect true cost and and claim to be following the law. Um, So we would like to see actual hard minimum uh, uh, bonding amount numbers, which actually um, there is legislation by uh, Senator Bennett uh, that would actually require uh, minimum bonding amounts um, along with the, the full cost bonding.
0: Well, I would be proud to carry that legislation if I was to be a a, a member of the next House.
2: Yeah, and I cannot, you know, this is one of those things that truly should be bipartisan. It should We're we're talking about people doing what they said they were going to do, people keeping their promises, companies keeping their promises to clean up as a condition of their lease. And we're talking about protecting taxpayers, you and me, from having to unfairly, bear the burden of, of that cleanup cost.
1: Now I know you had mentioned that a lot of these companies will just kind of go out of business or go bankrupt. Um, is there any, you know, repercussions that they face when they do just, you know, pack up and leave? Uh, or is there yep. just no way to really go after them at that
2: point? Well, that's the the, the problem is see that they then create a different company doing the exact same thing. Right. Uh, and it's sort of a wink week thing. And, and I guess, you know, you'd think that that would be a hard thing to do that, you know, your 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 current clients and customers and stuff uh, would know you under one name. And then it would be a marketing disaster to, to, to pop up under a different name. But I don't think those normal type, uh, you know, free market considerations really apply here. I think I think there's an inside game. And uh, when when companies do that, um, everybody knows what's happening and um, business just goes on as usual.
0: It sounds like yeah, if it, it, they don't have that marketing disaster because everybody knows the shell game that goes on, and if you keep playing within that shell game, you keep getting business no matter what the name of your company is.
2: Yeah, there's no disincentive for doing that, and for them as a, if, if, if profit is the is the main main motive. And uh, you know, we all want businesses to be successful. We you know we're yep. we're big. Big free market fans, uh, capitalism ba- fans but um, at the same time there's got to be values and ethics that go along with that It can't be just about the profit it, it, right. you know, whether whether it's um, taking care of our public lands conservation stewardship or whether it's um, being fair to the taxpayers there's ethical obligations and every time that we um, you know we're talking about our public lands here when we give someone the benefit, of being able to do business on our lands. It's just like if you were renting out um you know your house to somebody or your your or your your, your field for somebody to do do something. You're you're doing that, you know, that's a privilege. They don't have a right to do that. Right. You're giving them the privilege. And you're giving them that privilege based on some conditions. And if they don't live up to those conditions, they should
0: lose the privilege. I agree and uh, it sounds like there's some enforcement actions that we could empower or strengthen the BLM to do um and 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 that would be something that I would be willing to to look into with you guys in in the foreseeable future yeah there should be
2: um i guess the the real question at that level is the um uh, the willingness either either at the BLM level or at the department of justice level to pursue those kind of things um yep you know, um, we, we, uh, we, uh, we were urging them to pursue, um, that whole, uh, Clive and Bundy thing for a long time because he was grazing his cattle and not paying his fees. And, um, then when they tried to do that, um, hmm. they all ended the, the federal government ended up backing down, uh, to these bullying tactics of, of Bundy and his, um, uh, pals. And, um, you know, we, we can't have that. Teddy Roosevelt once said uh, something to the effect that um uh laws that are not enforced are not laws at all. Yep. And um that's that's essentially <laughs> true. So you'd really have to if you have laws, you've gotta enforce them. People know the rules. Um and there's nothing wrong with rules. Um the the thing, you know, that I think separates the conservative side from, from the left a lot of times is that we want the rules to kind of be established and stay put for the long term so that businesses know how to plan so they can plan to, you know, the free market's wonderful. I mean, if, if businesses know the rules, they can make a profit. They can adapt. They know how to do that. Uh, the problem is, is when you keep changing the rules on them.
0: You know, um, I, I agree, and and there is something to be said for too many rules in government that overlaps, and I'm not a big fan of that either. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes simplification can allow for not only businesses but also for for the society in general to uh, to know what's going on and understand where they're next. Uh, the path to to the path to to greatness is, and, and in this case, the path to protecting our our environments and and making sure that our economy can keep moving forward. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining with us today. Well, thank you for um, having it's, me. It's been a pleasure. And um, I personally look forward to, to hopefully some many conversations with you in the future.
2: Yeah, same here. Uh, feel free to to um, reach out anytime. I'm um, I'm happy to come on
0: and chat. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Keely, anything else?
1: I, I think that's it. It was very... Um... I learned a lot in this conversation yep. and um, I know that the ECRS does a lot of different, um, you know, different things and um, including, you know, defending national monuments, expanding use of renewable energy. And I hope Dave that we can have some future conversations about some different topics as well. Yep.
0: And just personally from me, thank you for all the hard work that you and your organization does. Well,
2: thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, to chatting about these other things too. Yeah. We, we cover a lot of it bases and, uh, If anybody is interested to check it out, our website is uh, www.conservativestewards.org.
0: You can find this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to listen, subscribe, and if you like it, leave a five-star review. Well, that was a very fun uh, conversation, and, and, and it's good to get some, some you know, bipartisan and, and cross-party, cross-aisle right. discussions going, I think, um, on issues that are very important to Western Colorado, the BLM in particular. Um, and so, so we thank you. And, you know, everybody, uh, go check out their, what, what they're doing at CRS. It's some really, really, really good work there. And um, no matter where your uh, politics lie, the environment is super important to protecting it from all of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that uh, kind of brings us into the BBB, Bobert Bullshit Bulletin,
0: Keeley's favorite. <laughs>
1: um, so let's talk a little bit about um, Bobert's response to the provisions of the next year's defense spending bill.
0: Yeah. Um, So Lauren Boebert is um, a fan of the military, right? Claims to be? Claims to be. Yeah, supports our troops and and everything that the troops are about, right? Patriot, freedom, guns, Trump, isn't that all? Uh,
1: That's what she preaches.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, she tweeted out the other day that um, she cannot allow the NDAA to pass in its current form. Uh, the NDAA is the National Defense Authorization Act. It's the spending bill for for the military. Okay. Uh, we send we do one every year, and it, it sends how we're going to fund the military, right? Right. And she says there are plenty of poison pills slipped into this bill, including red flag laws, taxpayer funding, gender transition surgeries, and an entire quote unquote office to target conservatives in our military. Um, for those that don't know, her tweet is a bunch of bullshit. go figure Um, the NDAA I agree has some issues this particular NDAA has some issues I disagree with what her issues are she's making up things that aren't in there
1: well as we know um, she's pretty prone to making up stories
0: yes Um, so I'm going to tell you why she's wrong and then what my problem with the NDAA is how about that yeah that sounds great Um, so in the bill she talks about transgender surgeries Uh, money being paid for for transgender surgeries—that That is not anywhere in the bill. Okay. There are um, gender officers. um, And these are specialists who have been in place in the military. They're mostly, they're like counselors. Okay. To help, uh, they're they're there to help. um, Actually, they were brought in when um, women went on active military, active duty, started in the (laughs) deployment.
1: Okay. Which, which we know from the past, you know, women weren't always treated fairly in the military, so it's good to have these in place.
0: Correct. And so they do a lot of different things. One of the main things that they do is they act as counselors to women when they've been deployed overseas. Okay. Suffer from different um, ideas of trauma and experiences of trauma than men. Right. Um, And so there was this whole lag of how do we deal with that in the military? And they came up with ideas of counselors specific for this. I don't have a problem with it. Right. I wish it wasn't necessary. You know, that sort of thing, you know, but equity and equality aren't the same. Right. And this brings some equity to it, I think. Okay. Um, so she's claiming that these people are for are about transgender surgeries for transgender individuals. That's not true. Um, however, though, there is funds in the military. If, if somebody wants to get a gender transition surgery while they're in the military, they can. The same way if they're going to get... Um, a nose job in the military, they can. They, okay, but
1: this is not something that's new.
0: No, it's not something that's new. Okay. And she's making a mountain out of a molehill. Right. Um, which doesn't surprise anybody. No. <laughs> um, the red flag laws that she's talking about, yes, that is in the in, in the NDAA. Mm-hmm. Um, Thirty-two states have red flag laws. Okay. Red flag laws are um, are way for the courts to temporarily remove a firearm from somebody who's potentially dangerous to themselves or others around them,
1: which we have here in Colorado.
0: We have them in Colorado. Yes. It's for a period of time to allow for a doctor to review the situation and then make an opinionated, educated statement to the court, uh, whether this person should have a gun or not.
1: I think that's perfectly fair.
0: These people in the military have firearms on them all the time, right? If they're not fit for having a gun with them, For the safety of those around them.
1: Or even themselves. Or themselves, yeah.
0: Maybe we should pull that from them for a period of time. Yeah. It's not like we're, you know, doing something terrible. It's a mental health issue. Right. So she doesn't believe in red flag laws because she doesn't think any form of gun um, restrictions in any form, even the most minor restriction out there from a trigger lock should be available to this country because of the second amendment
1: well she also considers um herself and her followers as a rel- well-regulated militia
0: yes so. Uh, yeah so hey if you think lauren bobert is a well-regulated militia you're probably listening to the wrong podcast <laughs> but if you don't go to our website com and donate
1: yes every bit little bit helps and uh, i think at least here at uh, Colin Wilhelm for Colorado, we uh, wanted to get her out.
0: Yep. And now, the third thing that she talks about is um, extremists in the military and an office to remove conservatives from the military. That's not true. This, there, there is a new creation of an office to prevent extremist views. Okay. Extremists. That's both sides. Right. Um. And that's the act only defines extremists as those with access to government information that could do harm to the security of the nation. Punishment for engaging in extremist activities could range from required training to expulsion from the military. Um, These are we don't want fundamentalist Christians. We don't want fundamentalist Islamists. We don't want fundamentalist Martians in our military with with nuclear codes. You know, going crazy. Yeah,
1: extremists on either end. Yeah, you know, are are dangerous.
0: Right. Um. So that's one big thing. And then she ends the tweet with another tweet, um, where she talks about how our military is supposed to protect our nation, not protect our feelings. The the let's cut the woke bullcrap out and take care of what they need. Why is it every time that Lauren Bobert talks about how somebody's feel, somebody else's feelings are offended, I feel like she's projecting?
1: Because she does.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's not just me. No. It seems like her feelings are upset.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, the main issue that I have with this NDAA, the same one that I had with the 2021 20, and the 2020, is they continue to authorize. Um. Non-full-court-approved surveillance of U.S. citizens on U.S. soil via drones or through emails and that sort of thing without a full search warrant through the FISA courts.
1: Okay.
0: Foreign Service Investigation Act courts. And I just don't think that the military should be allowed to snoop on, our, on the U.S. citizens in the United States without getting a full Fourth Amendment search warrant.
1: Yeah, I would agree.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's my issue with the NDAA.
1: Okay.
0: I think that that's a justified issue.
1: I would agree. Yeah.
0: If you agree, go to our website, <laughs> com. Sign up to volunteer. Sign up for our emails um, and donate. And also check out the events page. We're going to be in a lot of places. I don't think I'm going to be sleeping for a few months.
1: <laughs>
0: um, at least not in my bed, it seems like.
1: Nope. You'll be in uh, hotels throughout the district, uh, for the next few months quite frequently. So, um, if you are in CD three and would like to speak with Colin or come to one of the events, please do check out the events page there. Um, and also I wanted to mention, um, you know, we, th- we found Dave through someone reaching out to us, yep. um, and thought that he would be a good fit on our podcast and a good topic. So if you or somebody that you know, um, would be a good fit and have a topic uh, for our podcast that you would like to bring up to us, please reach out to us. You can um, reach, reach us on our website or info at C And we would be happy to uh, bring you on.
0: Yep. Now I'm going to tease next week's episode because it's not controversial at all.
1: Oh no. I find, I uh, hear some sarcasm there. Uh, so
0: <laughs> next week we're going to be discussing the very bland, very vanilla mm-hmm. issue of um, women's right to choose.
1: Oh yeah. Bland Um, should be. (laughs) That's not true at all. It should be an exciting episode and um... (laughs) we'll have
0: another guest star with us then. Yes. So join us next week. And as always, uh, stay safe out there.